Today's gospel lesson comes from Luke 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with stores and longing for what he felt and what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in the, this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you have received your good things while Lazarus has received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, they do not listen to Moses and the prophets. They will not be convinced that even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Anybody tell you today that you're the beloved of God? Ah, you are. Beloved sons, beloved daughters. So I lost my glasses this week. And um, I, I, I looked everywhere for them. Couldn't find them. So I started again looking in the regular places throughout the parsonage for my glasses. And I walked into our bedroom and I felt this crunch under my foot. <laughs> Not a good sound, but I found my glasses. <laughs> and and, and they, they have been repaired. They help me to see not only who's sitting in the back pews, but also I can read with them. It's, it's that season of life that I'm in. I can have the same, same glasses for up close and distance. When we read the scriptures with humility, they help us to see what we can't see. They help us with our blind spots. And when we read the scriptures with humility, they also help us see what we are really looking for that the world may not be able to see. And so in today's sermon, I'm going to unpack just two of those scriptural uh, references that help us to find our blind spots 
and help us to look for something that we need that the world sometimes, and even ourselves, have trouble finding or seeing. So the scripture that Calvin read to us today from Luke is this wonderful story of of Jesus who is responding to people who were not only religious authorities, but they were scoffing at his wisdom, scoffing at his teachings, and trying to discredit Jesus. So sometimes we think that in an increasingly secularized world that has baggage with Christianity, um, this has been happening for 2,000 years. It happened to Jesus too. And so Jesus responds to the religious uh, police at the time, the Pharisees who uh, wanted to define who is in and who is out, who is acceptable, who is not acceptable, um, and who very often, these Pharisees, they loved power and they loved money. And so Jesus told this parable in response to their scoffing. And it's kind of a, one of those reversal stories which turns everything on its head. So a rich man uh, who was living behind closed doors in kind of a gated community had a, a, a beggar named Lazarus who was at the gate. And Lazarus was so poor and so diseased that his only friends were the dogs. And the dogs, it says in the scriptures, licked his wounds. This was not pretty. Poverty is not pretty. The rich man had sumptuous feasts every day. And Lazarus was hoping that some of the scraps from the rich man's table would fall on the ground and be thrown out so that he could have something to eat. Jesus tells the story that they both die. Poor Lazarus dies, and the angels bring him to the bosom of Abraham. Do you remember that song? Rock my soul in the bosom of Abraham. That's the bosom of Abraham, where Abraham just embraces Lazarus. The rich man dies and is buried and ends up in some kind of realm of hell or Hades. Sheol. And it's not pretty. And it's not comfortable. And there's this conversation between the rich man and God who said, the rich man says to God, hey, would you send, send him, send Lazarus to dip his fingers in the water and touch my tongue for I am parched. Do you, do you see how even in death the, the rich man is still trying to order people around? And God says to the rich man, there is a chasm between us. In the earthly life, you were invited to care for one another and you, you didn't. And so that's why there is this dichotomy and this chasm between you and, and Lazarus. Now, the rich man's sin was not that he was rich. The rich man's sin was not that he had money. The sin is that he did not even see Lazarus at his gate. He was blind to the needs of the poor right at his gate. 
That's a humbling truth of the gospel that challenges me and challenges us to say, well, who's at our gate now? Who is hungry and poor at our gate that we need to recognize and care for and express compassion for? I am so grateful for the warm-hearted people of our congregation. And I have just compiled a brief list of some of the people you have shared with me you have a heart for, you have a compassion for, you are recognizing as Lazarus at your gate. These are in no particular order. People who live in Patterson who are hungry, we're sending a group today to go and, well, we're sending groups to Kings. We're sending our youth there and, and the adults who work with our youth to ask people to contribute mon, uh, money and, and food when they come out so that that food can be brought to a food pantry. We're sending another group of about 15 with Pastor Sharon to Kumak in Patterson, a United Methodist ministry there, to help sort, it could be 40,000 pounds of food today. You may give us a hint of who's at our gate. Others have expressed concerns for prisoners, people who are imprisoned. And some of you have a heart for people who are imprisoned. They are at our gate. Some have expressed a concern for Christians in the Middle East. Christians who are a remnant people who are being attacked, and who are dying because of their faith. They are at our gate. Some are concerned for the LGBTQ community, not only in this country, but especially in Africa, where to be gay or lesbian may cost someone their lives. They are at our gate. For some, their heart is for vulnerable children, not only in this country, but children throughout the world, they are at our gate, and God is calling us to see them. Some have a heart for refugees. We can't get through a day without being reminded there is a refugee crisis in the world that we have never seen before. And they are at our gate, hoping to be seen and cared for. Some have a heart for African Americans who are, are teaching their children and their youth how to survive being pulled over and how to put their hands out the window of their car so that police officers know there's no gun. I know friends of mine who are African American who worry about sending their kids out into the world for fear they may not come home. They are at our gate. Some have a concern for poor white folk who are feeling left behind in a global economy and who are acting out in their own way. They are at our gate. Some have a heart for addicted people, people who are dealing with addictions, whatever those addictions are, and there's plenty. They are at our gate and at 12-step programs, and in our congregation. 
Some have a heart for people who are going through a season of depression and darkness. They are at our gate, and we as a church are called to care for them. There's an expression in some regions of Africa that is an ex- it's a greeting called Saubona. Would you say that with me? Saubona. Let's say that again. Saubona. Oh, wonderful. It's Zulu. And the greeting translates to we see you. And the response is we see you. The we is recognizing that all of our ancestors, for Christians that would be the great cloud of witnesses, we see you. We see you. Wouldn't it be a profound Christianity if everyone with whom we came in contact had a feeling like they were seen, they were recognized, they were acknowledged? I've got to tell you, so this morning I was out there blessing people who were driving by, and I I love doing that as an expression of our hospitality at the Chatham United Methodist Church. I saw one guy, he he was riding in a pickup truck with his wife coming this way on Main Street, and I waved, and he saw me, and his first instinct was to wave back, and then he realized, oh, wait a minute, I'm waving to a priest, and maybe I shouldn't do that. Or maybe I'm acknowledging Christianity, and I don't want to do that. But his first reaction was to wave back, I had other people honking and waving before I even saw them. And I sensed maybe they're longing for connection. Maybe they're longing to be seen. I think people wave back because something in them says, that church just saw me and blessed in some way. We see you. So the gospel is telling us where our blind spots are. I want to read another section of the scriptures from the Hebrew texts that show us where to look and find something that at first glance cannot be seen. It's the story of Jeremiah. I'm going to start reading some really dry scriptures. And then I'm going to stop and interject what the significance is. I've got to tell you, I've been reading this book all my life, but I've never caught the significance of this Jeremiah passage from 32. You can read it this afternoon, or you can read it with me with a pew Bible. Jeremiah 32. The message Jeremiah received from God in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. It was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, that may sound totally insignificant, but this was the year 587 which is the year that Jerusalem fell. Now, they didn't write in the year 587 because 587 for us is before Christ or before the Common Era. That wasn't the time for them, but historians know this was the significant time when Jerusalem fell. So there's a message of foreboding in this passage. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was holding Jerusalem under siege. Jerusalem is surrounded enemies with weapons and evil intent surrounding Jeremiah and Jerusalem. Jeremiah was shut up in jail in the royal palace. Zedekiah, king of Judah, had locked him up, complaining, how dare you preach 
saying, God says, I'm warning you. I will hand this city over to the king of Babylon and he will take it over. Jeremiah has been preaching for years to the people of Israel and to the king. You've got to turn around. You've got to repent. You've got to change your ways because God is going to deliver. If you don't, God's going to deliver this city into the hands of the Babylonians. Jeremiah was saying, don't even have kids because they're going to end up in exile. Do you hear how hopeless even Jeremiah was? Then Jeremiah gets a vision. Jeremiah said, God's message came to me like this. Prepare yourself. Hanamel, your uncle Shalem's son, is on his way to see you. He is going to say, buy my field in Anatoth. You have a legal right to buy it. Back then, there was no fluctuation of price on land because it was all God's land, and the only people who had a right to buy it were people who were kindred, people who were family. And so the message from God said, you're your cousin's going to come and offer you some land at Anatoth. Anatoth, right now, as we are reading this, is filled with occupying forces from Babylon. People have fled Anatoth. It's been ransacked. It's been taken over. And God says, your cousin's going to come and offer it to you. Does that sound like a good investment? Do you think there's much investment on return with that? And sure enough, just as God said, my cousin Hanamel came to me while I was in jail and said, buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, for you have a legal right to keep it in the family. Buy it. Take it over. That I did. I knew it was God's message. Jeremiah bought the field at Anatoth against all logic, against all reason. And then he signed a contract in front of a whole list of people that I won't go into and said, bury this contract in an earthenware jar because it's going to be necessary to keep this safe for a few generations. It's going to take a while for this contract to be renewed. It's going to take a while for us to get the field of Anatoth, but I'm buying it anyway. And it was 17 shekels. He measured it out. He weighed it, gave the money, bought the land. And at the very end of this passage... He says this. Put them for safekeeping in a pottery jar. For the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel says, life is going to return to normal. Homes and fields and vineyards are again going to be bought in this country. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying, yeah, I know that we are about to be taken over. I know we are under siege. I know it doesn't look good, but I'm going to invest in the field of Anatoth, and someday homes will be built there. Someday gardens will be grown there. Vineyards will be there. Jeremiah sees something of hope that is completely unreasonable. It's a hope that may take generations to realize. Friends, that may be something that we're a part of in this church and perhaps in mainline Christianity. That we are investing in a future and faithful church that we may not see. But generations after us will. Maybe someday people will unwrap 
the earthenware jar that is the, the gospel of Jesus that sets people free. God calls us to look for hope and invest in it. Even if the world thinks we're crazy. The gospel shows us our blindness. Jeremiah, the Hebrew scriptures, show us what to look for and how to find hope and invest in it. I'm going to invite us to to pray an eyes-open prayer. I think we have the lyrics up there for Open Our Eyes, Lord. I want us to sing this twice. First, perhaps, to get familiar with it. The next time through as our prayer. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus to reach out and touch Him and say that we love Him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Let's sing this again as our prayer. Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Do out and touch him and say that we love him. Open our ears, Lord, and help us to Open our eyes, Lord, we want to see Jesus. Let us continue in the spirit of prayer.